G'day, Troy Dean from WP Elevation. In this episode, I mentioned that it's episode 26 with Brent Shepard. That needs a correction. This is actually episode number 28. So don't be confused if I ramble on about how this is episode number 26. It is actually episode 28. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation and welcome to the WP Elevation podcast, episode number 26. Our feature guest this week is fellow Australian Brent Shepard, who is now living in San Francisco and is the developer of the Woo subscriptions extension, which allows you to uh, have customers subscribe to a recurring monthly product using WooCommerce. It is a premium extension, and Brent has built a nice little company out of making this extension for WooCommerce. In this episode, you're going to learn how Brent made the transition from freelancing as a web developer into a WordPress product company. Stay with us. Let's elevate. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation Podcast is proudly brought to you by WP Elevation, the world's first business accelerator program designed to help WordPress consultants attract better clients, work on better projects and get paid better fees. For more information and to join the community, visit wpelevation.com. Okay, quick elevation tip for this week. Speaking of which, uh, we ran a prototyping webinar this morning. And in this interview with Brent, I asked him about writing proposals. And he said, well, in a perfect world, you don't want to be writing proposals. Because if you're writing proposals, then you're probably competing with other developers. And it's, you know, going to come down to... Uh, price and you know who the customer believes is best suited to deliver the job and in our prototyping webinar this morning we ran for WP Elevation I blew the whole uh, proposal writing thing right out the water and said you know why write proposals and try and explain in the written word what it is you're going to build why not just build a rapid prototype in WordPress uh, I use the Canvas theme by Woo Themes to build a rapid prototype and show the client what it is we're building rather than trying to explain it in proposals. So that's my tip for the week. Uh, if you want more goodness like that, get over to wpelevation.com and uh, join us in the Business Accelerator. Okay, without further ado, Brent Shepard here is a fellow Australian. I've met him at WordCamps. Uh, he now lives in San Francisco. I ha- hung out with him last year in San Francisco and played poker with him and got beaten badly by Austin from WP Engine. Thank you, Austin. And in this interview, I spoke to Brent about how he's made the transition from being a WordPress freelance developer into a WordPress product company. Uh, There's a lot to learn in this uh, interview, and Brent is going to give away a prize, so stick around for details on that. So without further ado, here is Brent Shepard. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me all the way from San Francisco, fellow Australian Brent Shepard. Hey, Brent, how are you? Good show, how are you going? Very good, thanks for joining us on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. You mongrel. You don't actually have it in the background. And anyone wants you could think of, of Nick Dolphin or something like that. Oh, that's hilarious. For those of you that are just listening to the podcast, when Brent and I first hooked up on Skype, he's sitting in a particular position, so all I can see is the brick wall background. And as soon as we start talking, he leans back, and behind him on the wall is a wanted poster of me that came Troy in. Troy wanted poster, the famous Troy Dean wanted poster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mongrel. <laughs> I owe you big time for that one. You can set the right tone, don't you? Uh, only a, I'd only let a fellow Australian get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fellow Australian, but actually, 
Oh, that's hilarious. Ah, so, welcome to the W. <laughs> welcome to the WP Elevation podcast, Brent Shepherd, who is um, <laughs> who is a WordPress uh, entrepreneurially challenged WordPress developer. He calls himself, uh, and is now. Um, of course, developer of the Woo Subscriptions uh, plugin, which we're going to talk a lot about a little later on. You've totally thrown me. Um, <laughs> okay, quick competition announcement. Um, I'm going to give away Brent's apartment. Uh, at the <laughs> uh, no, we're giving a copy away of uh, Woo Subscriptions, which is a fantastic plugin. Allows you to collect uh, recurring subscription payments through WooCommerce. We're going to give a copy away of that a little bit later on. So stick around for details on how you can enter that competition. All right, Brent. <laughs> When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, it depends where I was, like what age I was. Um, because I went through a lot of phases, I think. Uh, I, I have quite vivid memories of my parents letting me make um, little models of cities and things like that, and then actually burn them down and perform special effects tricks on them because <laughs> I'd seen some documentary, documentary and these guys who job in Hollywood was, uh, you know, doing special effects for things like Terminator 2 and stuff like that, uh, and how they would actually do it by building these really like detailed models and then just filming the model, the explosion on the model. Um, but this, probably the first memory I have is wanting to be an artist. Um, and uh, it was a bit of an interesting one because I went through a phase, I guess, of um, learning about sort of Leonardo da Vinci and um, those kind of renaissance guys and I just thought it was awesome to have that kind of um, creation as your sort of day-to-day um, -day activity I guess mm. uh, so I think I think that was the first one I remember and I'm not so uh, my mum my, my put me put me sort of in my place pretty quickly saying if you if you become an artist you know you're destined to, effectively destined to poverty in this day and age and I sort of thought well it's probably true. So, what what can I do that's almost artistic that uh, will actually give me a livelihood as well? Yeah, and and here you are on the web creating uh, creating websites. Hey, so are you a burner now? Like, do you go to do you go to burning festivals? Burning and... man. <laughs> <laughs> you got a burning man. Burning man's only once a year. It's crazy. It's like I don't know forty thousand people or something head out to the desert and. Uh, yeah, I haven't, it was in October, I think, last year, or maybe it's September. Uh, so I haven't been this year. There's talk of um, going with my brother, but um, it looks it looks pretty pretty intense to me. I'm not yeah. sure if I, I'm not sure if I've missed it. Maybe I should have gone in my youth, but yeah, it seems yeah. like there's a, there's a very eclectic crowd that goes along. And a good friend who's sort of lived a lot in her life has said to me that it's one of the few things in the last couple of years that has genuinely made a jaw drop. When she wow. just walked in and saw the um, the player, they call it the sort of main main area. She said her lord, her jaw literally dropped. So wow. sounds like something worth going to. Full on. Um, when did you? So at what point did you discover the internet in all its glory? Um, I discovered it quite young when I was a kid because my dad was uh, doing his PhD at university and he had what was the very very early days of the internet where you he would. You know, plug in his modem and connect to the um, connect to the university uh, through the phone lines. Um, and I don't even think I think there might have been an internet, but not a web then or something. And I have sort of memories of being about five years old or so and um, playing around with different things and hearing the modem sound in the background and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't actually. It was always just sort of a tool, uh, like a, a 
playground, I guess. It was never actually, even, even when I was in high school and studying, uh, studying sort of IT or like the equivalent of IT that they taught at high school at the time, um, it really, uh, it just seemed too much fun to be something I could actually do for a living. It just seemed like it was a, like a, a novelty or a hobby or something like that. So I didn't actually take it seriously until uh, much later, until my early 20s when I sort of heard about, you know, these companies in, in the US that were making real, um, real money out of it and real businesses out of doing things on the internet. And I thought, oh, maybe you can actually, maybe you can actually make a living off that. Mm. And do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? Uh, not vividly. I guess it was, I guess it, I do, I do remember being fairly enamored with WordPress very quickly. Um, I'm not sure if that was from the dashboard or whether it was from just generally the feeling that I could instantly publish and not only that I could build things on top of this existing sort of framework, uh, that, that I, I would be able to build much quicker than I built, uh, in other ways. I think, I think it was around 2008, 2009. Um, it, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2009 because I, I know I was in Amsterdam at the time and um, my girlfriend and I, wife now, have moved over and I just remember sort of looking at ways to set up my own personal site and, and other sites like a blog and stuff like that and stumbling across WordPress. So relatively late in the piece these days, I guess. And was it, was it because um, a lot of people I've spoken to on this podcast, they have the experience that WordPress was just the easiest thing to get up and running at the time and that had kind of the path of least resistance. Is that, was that your experience with it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I tried a few different things. The company I work, used to work for, was working for before that, used ASP.NET to manage their website. Uh, and, and anything on sort of ASP.NET is much more wrangling, both from, from the sort of, uh, from the user interface side of things and from the, the code side of things. It just felt like you were always sort of wrestling with it. Uh, and then when I sort of got, got like I had a, played with Joomla and uh, I might have even played with Drupal, I don't remember that, I definitely remember playing with uh, Joomla, but um, when I got WordPress set up, I just thought, you know, this just feels right, like it just seems like it's letting me do things rather than me sort of trying to force it to do things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, a pretty, it's a pretty common uh, experience. I think I played with Joomla for about 10 minutes and just went, well, if I can't publish something after 10 minutes, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, where, where is this and how do I, what the, yeah. Exactly. Um, all right, so fast forwarding to today, uh, you're living in San Francisco. You are solely focused on developing the Woo themes, uh, the WooCommerce subscription plugin. How do you describe what you do in one sentence when you meet people for the first time and they say, hey, Brent, what do you do? What's your elevator pitch, so to speak? Uh, it depends if, if I'm meeting someone at a work camp uh, or something like that, it'll be very, very different to if I'm meeting someone um, in tech or even outside of tech. So if it's someone, if it's someone outside of tech, I'll usually say uh, I write e-commerce software. Uh, if it's someone inside of tech, I'll say I write um, subscription billing software. Uh, if it's someone in WordPress, I'll say I write um, a subscription extension for WooCommerce. Have you heard of WooCommerce? Uh, I think I think the elevator pitch is almost always um, well because it's not really something I consider I'm ever selling to people like me. I think it's far more about trying to get us get sort of a, a gauge of where they're at 
uh, in, in knowledge of WooCommerce, of WordPress, of e-commerce, of all those sorts of things as quickly as possible and then having the conversation flow from there. So kind of customising the elevator pitch based on where they're at and what, what their level of understanding is. Yeah, because I, I, um, I think the value usually comes from the sort of conversation you have uh, around, around what you do and what they do and potentially if anything you're both doing can cross over. Um, mm. So the elevator pitch for me is much more of sort of a, um, that, that you know, 10 word introduction and then uh, let's, let's take it from there. If you hear crickets, then you realise that you need to refine your elevator pitch. Yeah, if I, if I start with WooCommerce subscriptions and hear crickets, I drop back to, <laughs> I write things that allow people to sell things. I built uh, the internet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I write, I write codes. Uh, what do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? Uh, it's changed a lot in the last year. These days, um, it's much more working with other developers. So I'm trying to get um, subscriptions less dependent on me, uh, both because uh, I sort of it was almost solely dependent on me for about eighteen, well, almost eighteen months, uh, and that has a lot of weaknesses to it. One that my time is completely tied into it, but two that it it, it, it inherits my weaknesses. Uh, so as a developer, you have certain things you know and don't know, uh, and there's a lot of benefits to having more eyes and different skill sets come into your code and uh, actually have a look at things and build things and you have a look at them. And so a, a lot of probably, maybe these days it's probably about 30% um, managing other developers and working with other developers either on new subscriptions features or new extensions around WooCommerce and subscriptions. Uh, and it's about probably 30 to 50% uh, support because that, that's on average support can take sort of anywhere from half an hour to an hour on, a, um, on an easy day up to a full day, 12 hour days kind of thing if, if a bug comes in and you need to try and address that bug as soon as, as, soon as possible. Um, I, I say support but it's not actually responding to customers or anything like that that takes so much time, it's actually issues that are identified in support. Uh, so it, it might, there might only be five tickets or something for the day if one of those tickets, uh, there was one last night that um, showed a PayPal um, JavaScript issue on iPhone and Safari and iOS 7 and so it's sort of four or five hours trying to find a workaround for that and contacting PayPal to try and find out if they're going to fix it. Uh, and then, yeah, maybe 20% maybe of my time actually writing code and working on new features. Right. Gee, contacting PayPal to find a workaround would be fun, wouldn't it? I haven't got a response yet. <laughs> I've actually uh, contacted them quite a bit. They're actually surprisingly, um, their, their merchant technical services are actually, well, it's hit and miss, but I've been relatively impressed with them. Right. Um, you, you get, it takes about 24 to 36 hours to get a response, but um, you, know, you usually get a response and you usually have someone who has some idea of what they're talking about and it's not just sort of boilerplate and things like that, so they're not oh. too bad. And um, how's San Francisco treating you? How long have you been living in San Fran now? Uh, so we came over in July, just before work camp in San Francisco. Um, so seven months or so now, it's January now, uh, February now, so yeah, and it's going well. We're, we're coming back to Australia in March for a couple of weddings, just for a week um, in yeah, the start of March. So I'm looking forward to getting home and seeing people and everything a little bit. Uh, a little bit homesick at the moment, but yeah. still enjoy it. It's a, it's a great city, especially for technology, obviously, but also 
um, just culturally it's got a lot of diversity to it. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, for those that don't know, I was in San Francisco late last year and hung out with Brent and played poker and got my yeah. ass kicked. I uh, realised how bad I am at poker. Um, uh, played poker with Brent and Ned Dwyer from Tweaky and Alex McClafferty from WP Curve. Shout out to you, cats. Uh, who else was there that night? Austin. Austin won. Remember? Austin, that's right, from WP Engine. He won, that's right. He took home the yeah. bacon, didn't he? Yeah, right at the end. Yeah. And yeah. He he, I'm, not, I'm still not talking to him. Um, <laughs> Uh, and San Francisco is an awesome city. Um, do, you, do you sort of get out to much of the tech startup meetings and stuff? Yeah, a little bit. It's, um, it's, it's hit and miss depending on sort of week to week, month to month. Um, I mean, there's some of us here who I've been doing work with um, for a year or so before I'd even come over. I've worked on a couple of different projects with them when I used to do freelance. Uh, and. Uh, I didn't. I, I still haven't even met them face to face. I was going to see them a couple of weeks ago, and then I caught the flu, and then haven't haven't got back to it since then. So uh, I'm pretty like I don't. I definitely don't make the most of the networking opportunities around and just meeting people. But um, it's it's just one of those things where it's crazy. Every night there's about four or five meetups on, which all look awesome, and you know, with, with thousands of different people going and things. Mm. And there's quite a healthy Australian expat community in San Francisco, isn't there? Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's um, there's quite a few Australians around, particularly in, in technology. I think both um, both doing their own companies and working for other companies around here. Mm. The US the US makes it relatively easy for Australians to get visas compared to a lot of other countries. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's why we come over. Plus, there seems to be that sort of walkabout thing in Australians where we <laughs> do a bit of time overseas and then yeah, <laughs> then head home eventually. Um, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night about, about your business? Um, there's probably a few things. So it's a little bit, these days because it's, I'm starting to turn it into more of a, um, company rather than just me selling a plugin. Uh, that certainly is something that I put a lot of time into thinking through and thinking about how to, how to hire people, how to manage people, how to find people, the whole sort of recruiting process. Um, so I've been putting a lot of work into a lot of, a lot of brain cycles, I guess, into that uh, the last couple of months. Uh, there's, because of the way subscriptions works, it's, it's the only software, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the only software in the world which doesn't have a third party service uh, associated with it. So most other recurring billing um, platforms or systems will require you have a third-party service, so Recurly and Chargeify and those kind of guys where everything's run on their own service. Whereas because subscriptions runs everything on your server, uh, it means your site's only, well, the, the reliability is going to be dependent on how well you're managing the site. So there are some things in that which are never really things which keep me up at night, but um, unless they've been sort of reported that day. Um, so uh, it, it might be sort of one of those things where something gets reported and it's just like, well, wow, this should never be allowed to happen even if the server does whatever or these things get into this kind of mix. Um, so, for example, at the moment, uh, just yesterday, there was a customer who um, has upgraded subscriptions on a staging site. They're using WP Engine. Uh, and so they've upgraded it on the staging site. That's upgraded the database correctly. Uh, and then when they brought it over to the live site, the database is using a new version of the database, but for some reason the actual plugin's code base is using the old version. 
And so it's trying to hit things that are, well, create data that isn't there and use data that isn't there anymore because it's been moved over to, to the new sort of version. Uh, and so things like that, I haven't, haven't quite got that fixed yet, but um, well, there's two, two things I'm doing. One is trying to avoid you know, throwing notices and subscriptions. So if that ever does happen, it's, it's very, very obvious. Uh, and two, trying try to actually fix this guy's site for him because it's not something you want, want to have happen. Mm. There's, there's lots of variables, isn't there? And, and the thing is, you don't know what you don't know. And so when a situation arises where you get a support yeah. ticket and you think, oh, that, I just would never have predicted that that could even be possible. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and particularly once you release things out into the wild, and with um, uh, WP Engine's amazing, and they've got um, they've got because they've got their staging environment and so easy to create staging servers. There's been a few gotchas that have got me there, um, which were things exactly like that, which I've never even considered when writing and architecting some of the features in it, thinking, well, this could be running on two sites at once. Uh, or this could be running on a staging site, which might have a different URL, but also running on a live site. And how should you address that? Mm. Should you be sending customers emails still when you know when a payment comes due from both sites, or should you not be sending them from the staging site? And yeah, and I think and sometimes it's um, I mean there's there's sort of two streams of development I guess that are ongoing. The first is the new feature development and adding things to subscriptions because there's always customers requesting uh, new features and that's sort of a ways to go before. It really reaches where I want it to be. And then the other is almost a cat and mouse game with seeing what what is happening out there in the wild and then fixing it as soon as possible and getting the fix out there within 24, 48 hours so that it doesn't affect anyone else. How often do you, uh, how often do you have to update the plugin? Uh, it's, so bug fix releases are about every couple of weeks on average, I'd say. Um, probably, I'm, I'm, Probably every day or every every two to three days, adding um, little patches to little changes that that might need like either a slight tweak, so that can be like a new notice um, to make it more obvious, or things like um, which are actually a bug to, to prevent the bug happening. And then I try and try and run it on about a week to two week release cycle, rather than um, <clears throat> rather than having to make people update, you know, every forty eight hours or something like that. Uh, and then major versions, so 1.4, 1.5, that kind of major version is every, it's, it's sort of gotten very long between them. I think the first one was a month between them, the second one was about three months, and I think it was about six months, and this one would be about yeah, seven or eight months once it goes out. And um, do you get nervous when you, when you push out a, an update? Do you kind of just, you know, cross your fingers and think, oh, come on? Particularly the, um, uh, particularly the larger version updates. Um, I'm not too, I've got, got a fair bit of sort of version control and fairly across everything that happens now, um, enough so that we're releasing bug fixes that it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty surefire thing. Um, but new version, like new major versions, there's usually a database upgrade involved in it. Uh, and that's where, when you need, that's where you need to write code which can work on everything from a site with 10 subscribers to a site with 10,000 subscribers. and gets tricky to be able to write something that is sort of timeout resistant and memory exhaustion resistant and everything that'll actually run uh, on every single site running subscriptions and get the data upgraded to the new version. Fun and games. Um, yeah. What do you do when you're not working? How do you unwind? How do you get your head out of that space and kind of get some balance in your life? Uh, Besides playing poker. Not enough. Yeah, yeah, probably a bit of poker down there. Um, 
the, one of the great things, or one of the things I've enjoyed most in uh, San Francisco is the redwoods. So there's all sorts of redwood forests around, just north, just south, within sort of half an hour, an hour's drive away. Uh, and so I've really enjoyed getting out and getting into those over a few weekends. It's, it's amazing what um, just sort of three or four hours walking through the forest with these 2000 year old trees can do uh, to sort of rejuvenate you in a very quick period of time. We did try camping once one night, but uh, the screaming babies in the, uh, in the, in the campsite sort of put, put that up for a while. I don't know how quickly we can go back and do that. Um, okay, who the hell is Leonard and why is his ego out of control? <laughs> so for anyone who doesn't know why that question, what that, what that question relates to, uh, the company, the, the name of the company I trade at the moment is called Leonard's Ego. Uh, I chose that name because there's a Dutch street artist called Ego Leonard. Uh, and when I was living in Amsterdam, I, I just had this, this news article just came up one day saying that this nine foot Lego man had been washed out of the ocean uh, near Zandvoort, one of the beaches uh, in, in the Netherlands. And I was just like thinking, you know, they didn't know, there was no backstory to it. They just said this nine foot Lego man had been found. They had these photos of like five little kids like pushing this giant Lego man up. And I just thought, this is incredible. What, what's the story behind this? Uh, and I did a bit of digging and eventually found that it was done by uh, an artist called uh, Ego Lennon. Uh, and it sort of stuck with me after that. I just love the idea that he wasn't, he did have a site set up with them at the time, sort of saying a little bit of the philosophy behind what he was doing and like the, the actual story behind why he was dropping this, this Lego man in. And then since he's done, he's also done it in the UK and uh, the US as well. Uh, and it's all much more like I think he's in got a Wikipedia page and everything like that. And so it's all, all much higher, uh, much more visible. But I love the idea of someone just dropping something, like probably spending six months or a year working on this uh, on this Lego man and then dropping it in the ocean, barely even putting the name to it or anything like that. I thought it was a cool, uh, a cool concept. So when it, when it came to doing the company, I was sort of like, well, I don't really know what the company's going to do yet. This was all early days before subscriptions and. Uh, it was just probably at the start of 5.3, so a theme I released in probably two years ago now or something like that, uh, even more maybe. Um, and, and I wasn't real, I knew I wanted to start a company, I knew I wanted to do WordPress development and WordPress product development, but I wasn't too sure what the focus and sort of more specific vision of the company was going to be, so I just thought, well, I like the idea of this Dutch guy who dropped a Lego man in the ocean and didn't really put his name to it, so I'll steal his name and, and badge it on the company is sort of a creative creative bucket for whatever whatever I do from here on in. Cool. So that's the uh, that's the genesis of Leonard's ego. Uh, no WordPress pun intended there, uh, saying genesis. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing in your business right now, what would it be? Um, it would probably be... I think it, it wouldn't be so much fixing something. It would be more... Uh, either time travel or just increasing my rate of learning. <laughs> so to, to ideally, to ideally time travel, so I can, I can just substitute myself with Brent from six months from now or three years from now. Uh, I think, I think that everything I've learned in the last few months and the last couple of years has been growing, but I also feel there's still a long way to go before uh, I can drop the, I guess, drop the challenge part of the entrepreneurial uh, of, my, of my title. Uh, and actually call myself an entrepreneur and feel like I have some reasonable concept of what I'm actually doing and how to make things work. 
Uh, I, feel, I feel like I'm getting there, but I just like the idea of having that much knowledge that you really actually feel abreast of everything and confident in what you're doing and on top of things. Isn't that uh, the, the notion of being an entrepreneur though, is that you, you know, entrepreneurs uh, kind of walk into uncharted waters with no map and they just kind of figure out as they go and, and in fact if you're not kind of wondering, you know, walking around wondering what the hell you're doing from one minute to the next, then, I mean, isn't it Seth Godden that says if it's not uncomfortable, then you're not doing it properly? <laughs> yeah, I do, I do wonder about that a little bit because I think every time I, I feel comfortable with something and like I'm, um, you know, three months ahead of where I was before and understand something and I'm like, okay, well, what's the next challenge? And yeah, yeah. Let's, let's try something new. So, yeah, I do wonder if that's, that's the truth and that's how it'll really go. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. All right, let's talk about uh, WooCommerce subscriptions for a minute. When you were, when I first met you, was at WordCamps in Australia, and you were living in Queensland. Yeah. And you were just freelance developing for a bunch of WordPress shops. You were doing a bit of work with the Sensor Boys up in Queensland. Yeah. Uh, at what point did you decide to start writing? At what point did you decide that you wanted to develop WordPress products? Uh, so it was actually before that. When I, when I decided to leave full-time work, that was really the vision to uh, develop products full-time. Uh, and I was working on um, a sort of an e-commerce marketplace plugin at the time called Prosperous. And I, I thought that would be where the company would get its revenue eventually. Uh, and that was what I was spending most of my time working on. But uh, I, I always wanted to, run, to do a product business. I just liked the idea of um, the, the leverage that comes from products, but also being able to go really deep into a product uh, and just really create something that hasn't been built before and give it lots of time, um, build it into something you can really be proud of. Uh, so it was, it was right at the start, I guess, 2011, uh, that I wanted to do that. It just took quite a while to get there. Uh, and so, yeah, I was lucky that um, Australia has a pretty good market for WordPress developers and um, Sensor guys, Bronson Lachlan and Jason Conroy in Canberra with Finding Simple. Uh, I met them quite early on in the piece and um, did some work with them and then it was, they always had more work than they could handle so um, whenever I needed to sort of get a cash injection or whenever they had an interesting project on, I'd partner up with them and, and do some freelance work. And then in between, I guess, that was, that was always sort of funding the, the experimentation with projects on the side. Cool. And, um... Uh, so, when did, when did you start writing Woo subscriptions? Uh, I released it in June 2012 and I started writing it about six weeks before that, maybe eight weeks before that. Wow, so that's quite a rapid, uh, rapid deployment. <laughs> yeah, I dream of that these days. <laughs> and I think, I think there's a, yeah, it was like a few thousand lines of code in what it was originally released at, and now it's something like 15 to 20,000 lines, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been a lot since then. And how did it come about? Did you approach Woo, or did they approach you, or how, what, how did that happen? Um, so in the end of 2011, uh, I was working on uh, a little bit of stuff with Brian McHugh in Australia and Dan Millwood in New Zealand and uh, I was writing a payment gateway for um, PayPal Digital Goods for WP Commerce uh, to go into core of WP Commerce and uh, I'd heard about this WooCommerce thing and thought well you know this is reasonably interesting I should, I'd, I'd love to have a play around with this and see what the, um, see what the code's like and the APIs are like uh, and so I wrote the, um, the same extension that I was doing for WP Commerce I did it for uh, WooCommerce as well at the same time 
and then released it through, uh, we'll talk to Blue Things about it if, because they were just starting to get the marketplace together uh, of extensions of, around it and asked if they wanted to release it and they said, yeah, and I said, okay, that'd be cool. Um, we'll, we'll give it a shot and I'll see what happens. And then I think it was February or like it sort of trickled in a bit of money in January, I think it was released. And then February, um, I think it, uh, yeah, it was about the same. I sort of thought, well, it's, you know, hundred, two hundred dollars or something like that. It's um, over the year, it'll start to pay for itself, I guess. Uh, and then in March, I think they ran a sale or something like that. I bought in a bit more and I was like, well, this is actually, you know, imagine if it's simple. I had three months, right? So the growth curve was basically straight up uh, when I was looking at it. And I thought, well, the growth of this is phenomenal. Uh, and they were talking, they, they basically, people were asking for a subscription extension at the time and they said that they weren't going to build one. And I'd had trouble when I was setting up the site to sell 5.3 and uh, other sites in the past. I've had terrible, terrible trouble trying to charge just you know, what I would have thought would be relatively simple recurring payments. Uh, and so I thought, well, this would be something really fun to, to try and do right for once. And then the next thing I sell, thinking that it was just going to be a little bit of a hobby thinking the next thing I sell, I can use it to, I can use it to actually sell it and charge subscriptions in the, the, you know, two weeks or whatever it takes me to write, will go into that and I'll, I'll, I can make a bit of money on the side from it. And then as, as history tends to be, it was very different to what I thought it was going to be. Mm. And so at, at what point did you know, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on now. I'm going to, you know, stop doing client service work. I'm just going to focus 100% on building Woo subscriptions. Um, it, it sold pretty well the first month. I remember being, I thought it would do well in the first month and then like basically die off for six months or something after that. Uh, so when, it, when the first month it sold quite well, I thought, well, that's not too much as price because people have been asking for it and they've been looking for it. Uh, but then it was the fact that it sort of sustained and continued to uh, sell well and also grow that I started to think, well, maybe this is actually a business unto itself. Maybe it's not um, just a hobby project anymore. And um, for, I guess in, at the time I was thinking I could make my living off this. And then if I do any freelance on the side, it's just for sort of fun or um, the enjoyment or the challenge of something new rather than actually what, what I was doing where I was using that to um, pay for experimenting on the project. So uh, I guess it was probably, I don't have a very clear point of where I went, all right, this is, this is definitely it. It was just over that first few months where I started to go, well, this could actually be um, bigger than I think it is. We, and am I right in suggesting that Wu set the pricing for these extensions? Yeah, so, uh, and, and in those days it was quite low, I think. Um, I think PayPal Digital Goods at the time was selling for like $30 or maybe $40 and subscriptions were selling for $80 or something like that, um, which for what it was at the time probably wasn't, wasn't too bad of a price, but, uh, and, and they still, they still set the extension. So if you get accepted into the marketplace uh, and you sell an extension through them, they still say, okay, you get, you get to suggest the price point you want to have it at. I think they have three or four price points uh, and then they will, will sort of say, yep, that sounds right. Or they might push back and say, well, this seems like quite a bit for this compared to other extensions, which, you know, are doing more of the same and the price differently. Um, and were you, uh, in the early days, were you kind of nervous about sort of putting part of your business model in someone else's hands like that? Yeah, I guess, I guess because when I first started, uh, I, I thought it was going to just be a little bit of money on the side, so I didn't think it would be um, uh, big enough that it would really, really be so important. Uh, and then early on, I guess, once I started to, you know, become dependent on it and, and my, my life and wage or livelihood was dependent on it, I started 
start to think about that. Okay, well, this is this is all being sold through Woo Themes and um, their audience, and you know we had had contracts in place and whatnot. But you, I, I guess I was a little bit anxious about that um, early on. But the good thing is, I guess that um, I guess one that they're you know they're serious about building a marketplace of developers alongside of it. So uh, there was a bit of a disincentive for them to to start like take any plugin from anyone I guess and do it uh, and also there was actually one developer who they did take plugins off because he just wasn't responding to support tickets and a few things like that uh, and the way they handled that very, it was very clear signal to me and to I think every other developer that they, they took the partnership very seriously and they mm. wanted us all to know because they were very upfront with the information about it they said what they tried to do to, to avoid this happening and to, to continue having a good relationship mm. uh, and I think that that was a very clear signal that they were serious about their partnerships and they weren't interested in you know taking any plugins of any developers or anything like that. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you call yourself entrepreneurially challenged, they're your words. Um, <laughs> did, did you did you have to like when you first started in the product business did you were there any kind of self-doubt or any kind of voices in your head going ah no one's gonna buy anything from you or you know you can't run a business how did you get over that and just do it anyway uh well there's still self-doubt i think uh you know any uh, i think if you don't if you're not doubting yourself you're probably not being realistic um, and, and in some ways that's good. I think in some ways people who aren't realistic are the ones who really, really achieve the difficult or solve the difficult problems and achieve the amazing things because they're so convinced they can do it. Um, so it's not it's not really a past tense with the self doubt. I mean, still with things I'm, I'm working on now, uh, there's, there's self doubt about whether it'll work or not. But I think I think the joy of it is that um, well, one I, I have a lot of um, I get a lot of pleasure from actually writing new things and building um, building things that solve problems for other people. So uh, there's intrinsic value for me, even if the actual result isn't um, isn't uh, as what I expect it to be. Uh, and two, with um, I guess with the age and uh, with with wisdom of friends that I've talked to about it, they have sort of said how it's it's good to approach things you're unsure about just as an experiment because. Um, you don't actually, well, it's very hard to fail in an experiment. Uh, I sent out a tweet about this yesterday because a friend actually said it in an email or something, or, or worded it perfectly. She said something like, um, it's, it's good to treat anything you're pensive about or, or doubting yourself about as an experiment because it means uh, you don't actually fail, you just need to recalibrate. And, and because it's very hard for an experiment to fail, I guess if you just keep adjusting things and, and readjusting your own expectations as well as what you're actually doing to fit in. Uh, with the realities that you you understand now that you may not have understood three months ago. Mm. It's a really it's a nice way to look at it too because it kind of relieves the pressure a little bit if you think well this is just an experiment to see what happens it takes yeah. a bit of the pressure off and then if you do knock it out of the park it's like well that's what I meant to do all the time. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah well, yeah <laughs> but I, I think that's definitely it and I think the advantage with WordPress uh, software and plugins and, and themes and everything is I mean they can they can take quite a while to put together, but if you're building something that's truly new, which hopefully you're doing because that's your best chance of success, uh, and probably where you have the best chance of actually impacting people, then um, then the, the cost is really just your time. 
uh, you're not you're not having to buy a factory and you know lay down one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of capital requirements for equipment or anything like that. You mm. have the time you put into it. So if you try and solve it, really, I guess it's that lean startup MVP kind of idea where if you try and figure out what the real problem you're solving is, and then the simplest possible thing you can you can come up with that actually solves that. Uh, you can probably experiment quite quickly and see within a in a month, two month kind of period if uh, if people do actually have that problem like you think they do, and if they don't, and, and then once you start to get that, that feedback, I guess you can decide whether it's something you want to keep working on, regardless of any impact or lack of impact, or whether it's something that's going to take off. Mm, that's the beautiful thing about having an online business where the product is digital, whether it's uh, whether it's software or whether it's you know. Um, you look at the, the model over at sort of Mixergy where they have courses and premium interviews. The, the, the product itself is fairly inexpensive to create and to iterate and to duplicate. The cost of duplication is, you know, zero. If, someone buy, if one person buys your plug-in or 100 people buy it, the cost of duplication is nothing. So I think that's yeah. one of the really attractive things about the tech startup space is that you can iterate and test things really quickly without spending a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And you can you can you can do it even if you don't have a lot of money. More importantly, if you just have sort of a bit of um, a bit of motivation and some mouse or skills mm. to try. And is so is Woo Subscriptions your sole focus now? Because you have been there's five three dot me, which was a WordPress parallax theme. There's BB Bolt, which I've been having a look at, which is a BB Press uh, support forum product and Social Connect. Are they all kind of now on the shelf, or are you still involved with them? What's what's the deal? So 5.3 was the first product I ever released and sold. It, um, it still sells, so I keep, um, it's gotten to quite a good stage now where the, the code base is very robust, customers aren't really asking for features. Uh, so the cost of maintaining it is very low. Uh, so I keep it open and, and keep selling it. Um, I don't do any active feature development on it, but customers don't really ask for anything. So uh, it ticks along and then, um, Social Connect is a free plugin for social logins that I wrote, um, or I, I actually hired another guy to write and worked with um, way back at the start when I was first leaving um, work and going into WordPress development full time. Uh, and I, I had it written for a site I was working on at the time and then thought, well, I'll release this and it'll probably be useful to other people. Um, and I don't actually, so just in the last week or two, uh, uh, I've had up there for a little while saying that I'm not actually maintaining it anymore or actively developing it. So if you want to, um, if you're a developer and you want to take over it, get in touch. Uh, and I'm pretty happy that just in the last week or two, a guy's started to take over it. And I think he's released like three new versions or something like that in those couple of weeks with, with fixes and um, improvements to it. So it's sort of taken on a life, uh, a life of its own beyond me now, which is good. Uh, and then Bolt's, Bolt's an interesting one. I think I'll, I'll say watch this space on Bolt. I wrote it initially because um, there's still there's still big problems in support for free plugins. I think. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I think anyone who spent more than two minutes on the WordPress server support forums knows this. Uh, and I really love the idea of free software, uh, freezing freezing beer. So um, I, I really want to do something with that. Uh, and I am so that, I wrote that before WooCommerce subscriptions, which means that uh, if I if I was looking at it again now to rewrite it, I could rewrite everything on top of WooCommerce and on top of subscriptions, which would mean it would be a lot more flexible and a lot more powerful than what the initial sort of prototype uh, that I worked on in. So that, that was actually that's a good um, example of an experiment. I, I wrote that for a uni project and put most of the code together in about 48 hours. 
uh, and just sort of put it out there to see if you know if people were interested in the idea of that having like an in dashboard support experience uh, and subscription billing alongside of that, uh, or if they if it wasn't that appealing and it didn't it didn't really take off, which I wasn't too surprised at. But um, it's definitely something I still want to. Uh, still want to explore, so I'll just say watch this space. All right, I'll put the links to all this stuff we're talking about in the show notes underneath this episode uh, so you can check out what Brent's up to and what's coming in the future. Okay, we're going to take you back now to your days when you were freelancing and working with agencies, uh, and we're going to get into our elevation round. For those of you that don't know, WP, for those of you who have been living under a rock, WP Elevation is the world's first business accelerator program for WordPress consultants to help you build a real business. And we're going to ask Brent some quick questions about freelancing and consulting. And you're just going to give us the first thing off the top of your head, Brent. Sound good? Yeah. I've cool. Awesome. All right. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? I think do quality work. I think if you, if you always take pride in your work and you always try to do the best work you possibly can, uh, everything else about selling yourself and getting work will be much easier. Great advice. Worth the price of admission alone. How do you, uh, sorry, what the next one is, what's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Uh, go to a WordCamp and help organise a WordCamp. Oh. So both of those, uh, that's how I met the sender guys, how I met, um, well, how I met you, how I met Jason from Fine and Simple and everyone, I guess, in the, in the Australian WordPress community, I either met through a WordCamp or uh, through through WordPress meetups, and because I was subcontracting through them, uh, I think that was, and I think that was a good strategy. I think that was definitely the best thing I ever did to, to get new people, new people. But being an organizer of, an, of any sort of event is really good positioning, isn't it? Mm. Uh, how do you stop competing on price? Uh, I think it's that quality thing again. Um, it probably depends on where you're putting yourself, how you're how you're competing for jobs. So I don't think. I think if you were if you were bidding on jobs only on audio skinning lengths and things like that, you would almost never be able to escape competing on price. Uh, maybe two percent of the time you would find people who are looking for quality over price, uh, who are less price sensitive. But if if you're uh, if you're bidding in other ways or getting referrals and things like that, then usually the customers will be far less price sensitive, uh, and and then. And, and potentially you won't even have competition. They might just be coming to you first because of the referral, and then they'll be going to other um, other people if you can't if you can't take it on. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I remember when I went looking for a Google Analytics expert on Odesk once, and I deliberately contacted the two most expensive Google Analytics experts because I've just figured that they would know what they were doing. And everyone else who was charging five bucks an hour, I thought, oh, well, they probably haven't got a clue. Uh, they're just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, but I think you're right. If, you, uh, if you're in Odesk or Elance trying to pick up web jobs, you're going to find it very hard to, uh, to stop competing on price. Any tips on writing better proposals? Uh, proposals are a hard one. I would almost say try not to write proposals. If you... If you're, well, I guess it's that thing again. If you're if you're writing a proposal, you're almost certainly competing with three or four other agencies, uh, and that's why they're asking for proposals. And um, it's it's very hard, um, I, I would say, to put something into that which is going to differentiate you. Well, I, there, there may be a trick to it. I, I've never heard it. I don't know that really differentiates you above and beyond. But I would say you would be far better off to try and get work outside of that kind of channel. 
Uh, so get work from, from referrals where you are the, the single person competing for the job as opposed to proposals where you've got six or seven potentially you know, large agencies or, or other companies um, bidding on it. Yep, awesome. Uh, Favourite tool for CRM? What do you use for customer relationships? Uh, <laughs> I'm like the, the layman's version of it. I think it would probably be Gmail and memory and, and reminders, <laughs> I guess. This is like my poor man's version of CRM. Uh, most, of the, most of the work I do is project management. Um, or So that'll be things like Trello and, uh, or support, so Zendesk. Uh, when, when I've, well, both Zendesk and Finding Simple uh, use Basecamp, and I thought both of those um, were quite good for both. It's still, again, more project management, I guess, than CRM. Um, but yeah, asking the wrong guy. Gmail, I, you wouldn't believe Gmail. some of the people that I've had on the podcast, <laughs> and that, like, you know, really, like, Brian Clark from Copyblogger last week, I interviewed him and he said Gmail for CRM. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? Well, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I know even when we've talked before, when you tell me some of the ways you, like the processes you implement around uh, that sort of relationship management, unless someone tells you what you can actually get automated and what can be done for you automatically, uh, you don't really ever think about it. You just kind of go through day to day. So there's definitely good stuff out there for you. Mm. Uh, what's the all right, What's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? So when I was um, freelancing, I had the pleasure of subcontracting, which meant I really had to manage the project. I did see uh, projects um, not necessarily start to veer off track, but have the potential where they could veer off track. Uh, and I think well, the ways I saw um, saw it handled were usually just in in being firm with what was initially agreed to. Uh, right at the outset. So as soon as something they say, oh, what about if we try this or let's have a think about, you know, going in this direction, right at the outset, I think, um, saying, well, that's not what we agreed to um, from the outset of the project. We're more than happy to explore that, but that would have to be, we'd have to revise the contract and have a look at um, have a look at different budget and all those sorts of things if you want to go down that path. Uh, and I think just doing that firmly right at the outset, but also giving the option, uh, it almost never never came to an issue, or if it did, it was all done under um, a revised budget and, and new scope. Uh, any ideas for getting referrals from your existing clients? I think it's back to that do good work again. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's lots, uh, well, there are definitely lots of good, um, good tactics you can actually use to encourage that. Uh, but in WordPress, there's a lot of work going around, and generally, particularly for small jobs, I guess, um, even I get a lot of people looking for customizations or for subscriptions. Uh, and there's a few guys who have done work in the past for customers and, I, and the people who I refer, I always say, you know, come back to me and tell me if, um, if it works out for you, if it doesn't work out for you, because I like to know if I'm referring these guys, if they're doing a good job and, and customers are happy or not. Mm. Um, so I think ultimately that's the root of it. And then, and then I think you give much better training and tips and tactics on top of actual actual strategies you can use on top of doing the good work to begin with. Doing good work's a great place to start though. And what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Uh, so I, I, when I was watching Brad uh, Tenard on here and, and he said something about communicating, um, I thought that was a really good one uh, because I think, I think the fundamental is that you have to do really good work and take pride in your work uh, and do what you say you're going to do, even if 
even if things change or so when I was freelancing one of the ways I think I um, respect of the guys I was working with was I would I I would try and almost always meet a deadline even if it was a ridiculous one so there was one one occasion where something I'd said would take about 10 hours so I would get by the end of the week ended up taking 100 hours and it was uh, it was it was a nightmare scenario um, but the, the sort of counterpoint to it was the fact that I actually put in that time and really uh, killed myself to get it done that week and get it to him and um, just sort of show that it was done earned me enough respect I think that uh, he, he was happy to come back anytime he needed anything done because he knew I would do what I'd say I'd do. So I guess I guess communication, but also just do what you say. Try don't don't set expectations too high, but just live up to the to whatever expectations you do set. It's pretty. It's, it's good advice, and it's all. I mean, what you're saying is all pretty fundamental stuff. But I yeah. I just see people not doing this all the time, like constant communication. I mean, even you know simple things like if you are going to miss a deadline. It's, you know, my philosophy always is this. If a client ever emails me to ask me how a project's going, I've failed mm. in my job. Like mm. my job is to be ahead of them and to keep informing them how we're going with the project. And if you're going to miss a deadline, don't miss the deadline to email your client or phone them and tell them, hey, we're going to miss this deadline and here's why. Because that just yes. helps everyone stay calm rather than letting it escalate. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant strategy. And, and even having that kind of feedback mechanism if... If, if they are contacting you, then yeah, you, you need to step up the communication a bit either because they want to be get a status report every day or because mm. you, you're not communicating enough for a general expectation, I guess. But yeah, mm. that's a good benchmark to have. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for uh, getting us through the elevation round. Uh, what's the future for Woo Subscriptions? Where do you think this product is going to go over the next 12 months? Uh, thinking longer term than 12 months. That's short term. So yes. You're optimistic. This is, this is a good question. Yeah, maybe. Um, uh, there's, there's sort of the actual technical future, I guess. Um, and that is in uh, a version 1.5 will be out in about the next month to six weeks. Uh, that's going to have a few new features, things like being able to purchase products and subscriptions together. Uh, it's going to have a pretty good um, change to the underlying scheduling architecture, which should help it scale. Uh, to basically infinite infinite level sites, or um, assuming assuming you have server uh, admins handling a site with ten million subscribers or whatever, then you can actually handle ten million subscribers. Uh, and then two point will be out hopefully before the end of the year, probably nine months or so, six to nine months after um, after one point five is released, and that's going to be I think going to be the ma- the final version which really uh, implements everything that have been the most requested features. Um, and, and that I feel like are the most requested features that belong in core. Uh, so things like purchasing multiple subscriptions, um, easy way to add subscriptions manually. Um, but uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of requests around subscriptions now, which are small things which seem useful, but aren't really popular enough requests to justify going into core. So I've talked to a couple of the WooThemes guys about how we can manage that, whether we do like a side project with lots, you know, you might get 30 mini plugins or something like that for subscriptions and access to those for different sites or whether we do, you know, how we can sort of release that in a way that's sustainable but um, also puts it out there so people who do want to use it can use that. Uh, I, think, I think all the future of just about anything on WooCommerce at the moment is quite bright. Uh, it's the growth rate from the last sort of two years or so has just been phenomenal, and I think it's not slowing down. It's actually, I think actually, when you look at the 
curve, it's actually speeding up for the adoption rates on it. Um, so I think the growth is, is going to uh, going to continue to be very healthy for any plugins or products in in or, or even freelance developers in the WooCommerce sort of ecosystem. Uh, and and I'm excited that subscriptions is there as part of that. So mm. are we going to see a marketplace of extensions for Woo subscriptions? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're little things like it might be 20 lines of code or 30 lines of code. So if you're going to sell that, you'd sell it for like $10 or something or $5. And then that barely makes it worth the, the time if you have like a lot of support around it. So I'm not, that's, that's why it's a sort of an open question mark on how we do it. Um, one, of the, one of the things I'd actually really love to see in subscriptions is I'd love to see WooThemes do like a hosted version of WooCommerce mm. and do like a Shopify for WooCommerce. And I've heard that they're not going to do that, but I'd really love to see them do that because easily these days, half the, half the issues I see are related to hosting, whether it be, you know, running a serious e-commerce site, doing $15,000, $20,000 a month on $5 a month GoDaddy hosting, and then mm. things just not working as well as they should, or whether it be, you know, sort of just other oddities that come from managing everything yourself and being able to install any plugins you want. So I'd love to see a sort of, um, I guess the old, and, and, and Matt Marlenberg uses this as well when he talks about WordPress, he wanted his mum to be able to create a blog and that was what WordPress.com was for to make it as easy as possible for anyone who wanted to create a blog. Mm. I'd love to see anyone be able to use WooCommerce and create a store on WooCommerce and I think an important step in that is, is a host route. But um, themes at least the last I really talked to them about it, they weren't planning to do it. So I think there are other companies doing it. It's a huge undertaking, isn't it? And do, yeah, it's serious. Do you have any um, do you have any plans to because your product is uh, your product is just a buy once I own it kind of thing? Do you have any plans to get into the monthly recurring revenue business model and, and have subscription based? So uh, it's changed now. So it's it's um, you pay for the first year and then if you want uh, continued access to upgrades and support, uh, you you pay for another year after that. Ah, oh, that's um, right. And so it's, it has, it is sort of an annual subscription. They don't really call it a subscription, but it is an annual ongoing revenue now. Um, but I do, I mean, I, I've seen so many cool sites with subscriptions uh, and so many interesting ideas, particularly for selling all sorts of things around physical products, but um, all sorts of crazy cool stuff. So I do occasionally fantasize about the idea of actually using um, the software to create like a, a bricks and mortar business and selling something. Um, something exciting and physical mm. uh, it's not it's not really a high priority at the moment i do like software business so. cool um nice segue uh the competition details brent is giving away a copy of woo subscriptions it's 199 bucks at the moment is that right in the yeah. right so it's a 200 extension for woo commerce and what it essentially allows you to do is it allows customers to subscribe to a product and pay you monthly. So if you're selling memberships or you're selling subscriptions to magazines or newspapers or any other product that is billed monthly, maybe it's software or support, then Woo Subscriptions is the product for you to integrate with WooCommerce. So in order to enter this competition, leave a comment under this video and either tell us what you're currently using the Woo Subscriptions extension for and, and leave us a link to your website so we can check it out or tell us what you would like to use it for, what kind of business you would like to use Woo Subscriptions for and I'll get Brent to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the winner. Sound good, Brent? Sounds great. Awesome. Just before we wrap up, what's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business? Uh, so it's, it's a tricky one. I think the experimentation thing we talked about earlier is a good piece of advice, but um, it's also watching uh, Growth Hacker TV 
the episode with Jason Cohen from WP Engineer say, and he, he answered the question saying something like, uh, any, anyone who gives you advice, if they don't ask a lot of questions, then ignore their advice because it's just platitudes. They're not actually diving into your unique circumstance in the context of your business and your situation. And that's incredibly important for, um, for actually being able to give advice that is, is going to be useful. So I think that's, I think that's good advice too. Be careful what advice you take. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Uh, where can people reach out and say thanks, mate? Uh, Twitter, Ben Brent, T-H-E-N-B-R-E-N-T. Uh, you can hit me up. I've got a personal website for landing page on Brent, B-R-E-N-T dot I-O. Uh, there's a contact form on there if you want to ask about WooCommerce things or anything like that. Or yeah, on Twitter, I'm, I'm usually lurking on Twitter. Cool. Awesome. And um, finally, who would you like me to try and interview and why? So you've already interviewed Dan Knight. Right, I have. From WP Curve. So I share an office here in San Francisco with Alex, who's another Australian working with WP Curve. Uh, he'd be very cool to talk to, I think. He's a very smart guy, but um, the fact that you've already done WP Curve, I thought I should come up with someone else as well. Uh, so Scott Bollinger, who's been working on AppPressor, uh, he's, he's a really cool guy. I got to meet him in Phoenix, but also I just think what they're doing with AppPressor is really cool. Mm. Uh, and has particular relevance to, to um, people signing up for WP Elevation because going back to that question before of how to differentiate yourself, uh, if you can offer both WordPress websites as well as mobile using AppPressor or something like that, mm. particularly now when it's quite early days and that, I think that's a good, good differentiator on you. Awesome. I'm going to put Alex Claff and Scott Bollinger on the list. Boys, I'm coming to get you courtesy of Brent Shepard. And I've, uh, I'm one of the, was one of the beta testers on AppPressor. I haven't really taken it for a spin yet. Sorry, guys, but I'm going to. We're going to, we're going to use AppPressor to build something, uh, hopefully build something pretty special for WP Elevation. Hey, thank you very much, man, for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. And thank you for having the famous Troy Dean Wanted poster in the background behind you. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should be starting a WooCommerce site to sell these with <laughs> Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> Um, I wish I wish you all the best for Woo subscriptions and uh, hopefully when are you, when are you back in March? Uh, what 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 dates are you back? Uh, first first weekend, so for about a week. Cool. Um, are you coming? So, are you coming to Melbourne at all? Uh, I'm not planning to at the moment because I'm only in the country for a week. Okay. Uh, I'd really like to. I'm thinking about maybe coming back. I'm, I'm hoping there's like a WP elevation. Uh, or WordCamp Australia that I can use an excuse to get back over there. But um, I'm hoping to come back sometime later in the year and catch up with all the WordPress people down there. Cool. We're working on it. We're working on putting a conference together, yeah. so I'll definitely keep you posted. Well, uh, and I'm looking to get back to uh, stateside this year sometime too, so hopefully Great. we'll see, see each other a bit later on in the year. Another perfect game, for sure. Cheers, mate. Thanks for spending some time with us. Appreciate it. Pleasure, Troy. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the WP Elevation podcast as much as I enjoyed interviewing Brent. He's an awesome guy and definitely uh, hit him up on his website at brent.io or uh, on Twitter. All the links uh, and the show notes are underneath the video. Uh, once again, this episode is brought to you by WP Elevation, the world's first business accelerator program designed to help you, WordPress consultants, build a better business, attract better clients and get paid better fees. Uh, so get on to wpelevation.com and join in the fun. Subscribe to the podcast at wpelevation.com slash subscribe. Uh, and all of the links and everything related to this podcast can be found at 
wpelevation.com slash Brent Shepherd. That's all one word, no hyphen, no space. And Shepherd is spelt S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. Shepherd, not Shepard. Leave some comments under the video to enter that competition. Remember, Brent is giving away a copy of the Woo Subscriptions extension, which is valued at $199. Um, and all you have to do is leave a comment under the video to tell us how you're using the Woo Subscriptions extension or how you would like to use it, what kind of business and what kind of products you'd like to sell using it. That is the prize, so make sure you leave those comments. And until next episode, go Elevate.